0: The perils of Pauline chapter six by Charles Goddard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter six The Treasure Hunters. Excitement and activity pervaded the house. Sunday and Monday, everyone, including Harry, sue knew that pauline was to take tuesday's steamer to old nassau in the bahamas harry intended to quietly board the steamer a little earlier than pauline and surprise the party by appearing after the ship was well out to sea his plans were shattered by the young lady's unexpected early arrival harry with a suitcase in each hand met her face to face on the pier there was nothing for him to do but confess Kiss her goodbye and go. It was with a pang of regret that she saw him toss his two suitcases covered with college team labels into a taxicab and depart. An hour later, the four treasure hunters stood looking over the rail watching the last passengers come aboard. The pirate, in a new blue suit, huge Panama hat, and light pink necktie, though a rather unusual sight, had been toned down in appearance to a degree that permitted him to walk among people without causing a crowd to collect hicks too at owen's suggestion had adopted quieter attire just as the gangplank was about to be pulled in the deckhands waited to permit a very feeble and bent old man to hobble aboard he had long white hair and his face was mostly grey whiskers "'except a pair of dark spectacles. "'A porter followed him, bearing two brand-new suitcases. "'The adventurous four were soon comfortably perched "'in steamer chairs watching New York Harbor slip by them. "'They had barely reached the Statue of Liberty "'when the pirate launched forth "'on one of his Munchausen-like tales of the sea. "'Highly colored, picturesque, untrue, "'and absurd as a stained-glass window.' nevertheless these yams took on a semblance of reality from the character of the narrator himself in all his stories the pirate was the hero nobody noticed that a steward had placed a fifth steamer chair beside the sailor until that worthy reached one of the main climaxes of his narrative at that point he felt a hand on his shoulder and looked around into the whiskers and black spectacles of the old passenger THE CACKLING VOICE REMARKED, IT'S A LIE, IT'S A LIE, IT'S A LIE. EVERYONE WAS ASTONISHED, BUT EVEN THE PIRATE HAD A TRACE OF RESPECT FOR SUCH GREAT AGE, AND SAID NOTHING IN REPLY. AFTER A WHILE HE CONTINUED, ONLY TO BE INTERRUPTED BY THE SAME WORDS. THIS WAS TOO MUCH TO ENDURE, AND THOUGH IF THE PIRATE HELD HIS TONGUE, THEY REBUKED THE OLD dotard BY WALKING AWAY AND LEANING OVER THE RAIL the conversation wandered to the subject of sharks, and Pauline asked if they were as stupid as they looked.
1: "'Don't you believe it?'
0: the pirate assured her.
1: "'Them sharks look stupid just to fool you. "'I remember a time not so long ago down in Choco Bay on the coast of Colombia. "'There was an old devil who used to sneak up alongside sailing vessels in a fog.' He carried in his mouth the big iron shank of an anchor he'd picked up from the wreck.
0: "'What did he do that for?' asked Hicks.
1: "'So the iron would deflect the compass and make them run the ship onto the kelp ledges off the Penutis Islands. "'If a ship went down, he stood a good chance of eating one or two of the passengers. <laughs> "'But I don't mind sharks.' if you want to know what really annoys me it's them killer whales in the antarctic that comes a-crowdin and buttin up against ye
0: it's an infernal monumental epic-making lie cackled a voice behind him everyone looked and there was the old man the pirate was now thoroughly exasperated if he couldn't tell a story without being interrupted in this manner life wasn't worth living he announced that he would find the old man and thrash him. Owen and Hicks were annoyed, but they feared the result of the sailor's fury. They might all be arrested on arriving at Nassau. This would interfere with plans, and must not be thought of. To appease the wrathful pirate, Owen offered to have the old man thrashed so soundly that he would probably be glad to stay out of sight the rest of the voyage. There were some rascally-looking men of Spanish blood among the second-cabin passengers, who, as Owen and Hicks observed, looked needy and unscrupulous. The secretary found no great embarrassment in explaining that he wished the old man thrashed quietly and privately. The Spaniards agreed to beat him thoroughly for the trifling consideration of ten dollars. They would even throw him overboard for a very reasonable sum additional but the bargain was struck at ten dollars, for a moderate beating, and the foreigners were warned that as he was delicate they must be careful not to kill him. During the next hour or two the old man passed the four treasure hunters in their steamer chairs, but each time the pirate ceased talking before he came within earshot. At last the old man stopped in front of Pauline and gazed long at the pirate, He studied the rascal's face, apparently trying to remember the identity of the man. Slowly the aged head nodded as if he was saying to himself, "'Yes, he is the same man.'" Then, turning to Pauline and shaking a warning finger, the old man delivered a surprising message. Pauline was startled. The three men leaped to their feet— it was with the utmost difficulty that she was able to prevent violence. Owen excused himself to hunt up his Spaniards and demand an explanation for their slowness. To his surprise, they declared that they had tackled him, and that he was as quick and powerful as a gorilla. He had thrashed them both, and they were glad to escape with their lives. The ex-secretary was incredulous— but they showed cuts and bruises and demanded their money, saying that a joke had been played on them. When Owen refused, one of them drew a stiletto, and the ten dollars was forthcoming. Returning ruefully, he related the failure of the Spaniards. The pirate at once said,
1: Now let me handle him.
0: A few minutes later, Boyd cornered his ancient adversary on a deserted and wind-swept piece of deck.
1: "'Old man,'
0: snarled the pirate,
1: "'you say all my stories are lies. Only your gray hairs have saved you from a thrashing before this.' "'If it's my gray hairs that stop you, I'll remove that obstacle.'
0: The pirate was amazed to see the aged person take off his hat and remove a gray wig with his left hand, while his right fist collided with the pirate's eye. When consciousness returned, he was lying on the deck, with no living thing in sight but a seagull aeroplaning on slanted wings over his head. His return to the party was more rueful than Owen's. "'What is the matter with your eye, Mr. Boyd?' asked Pauline innocently.
1: "'Why,
0: you see—' said the pirate
1: i was looking at a girl with one of these new slit skirts and i stumbled and bumped against the ventilator i see you sort of slipped on a sex appeal (laughs) so to speak
0: commented owen to help him out Uh, yes said the sailor gratefully
1: it was just like that
0: it's a lie said a high thin voice from somewhere and they noticed that a porthole behind them was open. Pauline found conversation difficult. Hicks, as a man of few words, which gave him an undeserved reputation for wisdom, the pirate had given up spinning yarns on account of the old man's unfailing interruption. Owen's mind, too, was preoccupied with a growing suspicion. So the adventurous young lady went to her stateroom and wrote a letter to Harry the sailor intimated that he had important news which could be only told in the privacy of Owen's stateroom. The secretary suspected this to be only a maneuver on the pirate's part to get acquainted with the whiskey he knew Owen kept with him. But the seafarer unfolded the tale of his black eye, not truthfully nor accurately, except that he had recognized Harry under the disguise of the old man. I'm more
1: than half suspected it,
0: said Owen.
1: And I have been watching his stateroom, but there is no way anyone can see into his room unless by getting a look in through the porthole. And there's where you get a good idea,
0: said the pirate.
1: But there's no good having a peep at him without a disguise now that it's airy,
0: objected Hicks. Now, said the pirate, Turning on Owen, his lustreless, sea green eyes, faded by much grog to a dimness that reminded one of the faint light set in ship's decks and known as dead eyes.
1: No, but your porthole idea just a scheme to get at em, and get rid of em. I can slip down a rope tonight when all is quiet, and the full passengers are over on the other side, looking at the bloody moon and then what
0: said owen
1: i goes down the rope and shoots the old fool i mean the young fool uh, through the porthole why that's murder
0: cried owen
1: we'd all swing for it no it ain't murder it's suicide cause i'll throw the gun in there where they'll find it when they break the door in and everybody'll think he shot himself it's practical
0: (laughs) commented hicks but Owen protested. At last it was decided that a fourth man was necessary to do the shooting, and the pirate volunteered to produce him.
1: There's an old shipmate of mine down in the Stoke hole working like a nigger. He'll be glad to do the trick for ten dollars. But we'll make it fifty, because the poor fellow has a wife and children and needs the money. I'll go get him.
0: Owen and Hicks went on deck, while Boyd descended to the fiery vitals of the steamer. It was not an easy matter to smuggle a grimy stoker from his furnace to the upper passenger decks, but the pirate managed it. Meanwhile, Harry was not losing time. He had taken a dictograph from his baggage, borrowed a few dry batteries and a coil of wire from the wireless operator. He carefully installed the instrument in his stateroom and led the wires out under his door to the passageway. From there it was an easy task to carry them along the edge of the carpet to the door of Owen's stateroom. Arriving at the point, he was compelled to leave pliers, wire, and the receiving instrument under a chair. Like many another stateroom door, Owen's could not be locked easily from the outside, so when the three conspirators went out, they left it unlocked the old man slipped in a moment later and quickly placed the dictograph under the lower bunk returning to his own room the old man took up his instrument and listened but he was not a very expert electrician and the dictograph for a long time failed to give anything but roars and crackling sounds though he was convinced there were several persons talking At last, he got the thing adjusted in time to catch the last sentences of the conversation. He recognized the voice of the pirate. "It said,
1: and then we lowered you down the rope to his board hole. You stick your gun in and shoot the old fool. Don't forget to throw the gun in afterwards, so they'll think he killed himself. See? Sure, I got you, matey,"
0: replied a strange voice. After this, the dictograph must have got out of order as nothing further came over the wire. After closing the porthole, Harry started to take off his disguise with a view of revealing himself and having Owen, Hicks, and the pirate arrested. Then it occurred to him that he had not heard Owen or Hicks talking, and very likely they were not in the room at all. It was probably a crazy, drunken scheme of the old sailor whom he had tormented. Neither Owen nor Hicks had any suspicion, so far as he knew, that behind the whiskers and eyeglasses was Harry. Owen could have no object in shooting him.
1: Can it be that I'm jealous of this man, Owen?
0: he wondered.
1: Polly has been taking his advice against mine lately. What can that mean?
0: Peace reigned during the evening, while the old liner plunged and rolled past wicked Cape Hatteras, While the passengers listened to the sad orchestra in the saloon, Harry, still in his whiskered disguise, sent a wireless to a lawyer in New York requesting him to telegraph Pauline at Nassau something that would make her come home. Then he went back to his stateroom and locked the door. As he stepped in, he caught sight of the unbeautiful countenance of Mr. Boyd squinting wickedly at him from far down the passageway.
1: "'Just for that evil grin of yours, Mr. Pirate,'
0: thought Harry,
1: "'I'm not going to let you or your friend shoot me until after daylight.'
0: So Harry kept his porthole closed tight that night, sleeping rather restlessly without his accustomed ventilation. Twice he heard a faint scraping sound on the outside of his cabin, and a dark shadow eclipsed the faint nimbus of light which the foggy night sent through his porthole. On the deck, directly over his head, Three dark figures sat in deck chairs, while a fourth paced the deck, his cigar glowing like the tail lamp of a distant automobile. The fog began to lift just before dawn, and the stoker, making another trip down his rope, found the porthole open. A hasty inspection of the decks indicated that it was safe to go ahead. Owen, Hicks, and the pirate, quickly lowered the stoker, sitting in a little swing known on the sea as a bosun's chair. In his hand he carried a pistol which Hicks had provided. Each of the three conspirators had revolvers, but the racetrack's man's weapon was chosen because he had obtained it from a source to which it could not be traced. Down went the stoker, his bare feet clinging to the gently swaying side of the ship. The porthole was open— and there in the dim interior of the cabin the light was reflected from a pair of spectacles. There, too, were the whiskers and gray hair. The old man seemed to be asleep in his chair right near the porthole. The stoker cocked his revolver and held it ready for instant action. The steamer's foghorn blew a blast at the fast, thinning fog. This noise was just what the stoker wanted— he quickly plunged his pistol into the porthole and fired it point-blank in the very face of the old man. There could be no question of missing. He looked up at the three eager faces and nodded that all was well. I got him! he called out, and was about to hurl the pistol into the stateroom when an unpleasant and unexpected thing happened. A brawny fist shot "'out of the porthole and collided with the stoker's coal-blackened jaw. "'More from surprise than the force of the blow, "'the stoker fell backward into the sea. "'The three watchers on deck saw the proceeding, "'and only one, the pirate, "'had presence of mind to hurl a life-buoy. "'No alarm was sounded. "'The steamer went on into the sparkling morning sea, "'leaving behind her a profane and disgusted stoker.' This unfortunate had only a life-buoy to aid him on a fifteen-mile swim to shore.
1: "'Never mind,'
0: said the pirate, after the conspirators had gotten over their first fright at the dashing of their plans.
1: "'I have an idea. It's a corking idea, and you'll all like it.' "'What is it?'
0: asked Owen nervously.
1: Here, "'Here's your drink now. Uh, what's your idea?'
0: but the pirate wouldn't tell. He objected that it was too startling for them to carry in their timid brains. He would unfold it when the time came, and he promised them that it would be the greatest and most daring project they had ever heard. A murderous glare lit up the faded eyes, and he chuckled to himself. But no offers, nor threats— would induce him to part with his secret. End of Chapter 6 THE TREASURE-HUNTERS